Alpha. This is episode 95, and we have uh, a very special guest on. His name is Martin Neal. Uh, he is a buy and hold investor from Chicago, uh, currently owns uh, nine properties, and eight out of nine of those properties were acquired in the last two years. He's a full-time police officer, licensed realtor, and investor part-time. So for more information about uh, Martin and his business and the way he's doing the business, a lot of great tips, value, all of that great stuff, you can follow and should follow on Instagram, Mata underscore investments, Twitter, Mata investments, and uh, the website, which you just told me in a, in a second. So Mata, MataChicago.com. Of course, all these links are going to be down below for you to follow. So I'm always happy to connect uh, with the, you know, real estate investors. Again, I, as I mentioned before, I think we're going to bring uh, a lot of value to the people who want to get involved into real estate because it's a kind of sexy thing for a lot of people when they think about it, but probably they don't see the behind the scenes work, which probably can tell us some good stories, uh, you know, of building this business so that it's not always as, as good as, as good as it looks. But uh, first of all, can we talk about your kind of personal journey? Uh, I mean, you're a full-time, still a police officer. Uh, so how did you came across real estate uh, business? I mean, was there a person or event that influenced you to follow this path? Yeah, I would say that specifically real estate has always been in my family. Uh, more recently, earlier this year, I really started talking to my grandmother and realizing that it really started with my with my grandfather and he was a real estate uh, entrepreneur, and then he kind of passed it on to my father, and then my father on to us. Um, early on, my father tried to give real estate to me at a young age, but mentally, I wasn't ready to accept it. And uh, I didn't, there were certain aspects about real estate that I didn't like, that I didn't enjoy. So therefore, you know, I shied away from it. But as my mindset started to change and I started to grow as a person, that's what turned me on to real estate. Got it. Interesting. So you mentioned your uncle kind of wanted to give you real estate. So you were, you were talking about the property that like he wanted to hand your property that he was uh, having himself or? Uh, well, my father, my father oh, owns sorry. real estate. Yeah, yeah no problem. Uh, my father, he owns real estate. And so growing up, I always used to watch him manage multiple buildings. Uh, he had, you know, a four unit here, a two unit there and so on and so forth. And so I would go with him to work on some of these properties and do you know, small handyman tasks and things of that nature. And when, you know, essentially when 2007 started to happen, 2008 started to happen, you know, you started to see price plummet in terms of real estate, you know, that's when he really was trying to beat it into me. Like, hey, you know, you can really pick up some great properties for a great deal if you, if you know, if you take it down. But at the time I was like, you know what, real estate just isn't for me for, you know, for a ton of reasons. The biggest limited belief that I had was I'm like, hey, I, I just can't bring myself to kick somebody out of their house if they don't pay rent. Uh, not looking at it as a business, uh, looking at it more so on the human side, which is good to do so as well, but understanding that ultimately you guys enter into a business arrangement. And for some people, you know, you shouldn't enter into a business arrangement if you can't hold up your end of the deal. So, uh, you know, that's where I was looking at it from at, at a young age in my early 20s and saying, no, hey, you know, I, I, I can't do this. This isn't for me. Um, but then as I got older, I started to mature. I started to understand the way that the world works, the way that money works, the way that real estate works. I started to come back around to it and say, hey, this might be a viable option. 
Got it, got it. And I love the fact that you said that it was your mindset kind of was wrong at that time, as you said, you know, and it took you a little bit of time, which, you know, a few maybe years to kind of, as you said, to mature and to start to understand that real estate actually is a great thing to, to follow. But in that time, was it uh, like education? Have you come across a book, seminars, events? Maybe you can share part of that journey because, again, there is a lot of uh, mindset shifts are involved into this business. So what kind of mindset shifts did help you to kind of transition from, oh, it's an awful business to, man, I need to, I need to keep build this, you know. So specifically, starting with the first property that I ever purchased, which wound up being my primary residence, which was my condo, I uh, kind of became an accidental landlord where after uh, X amount of years, I wanted to sell that property, but I couldn't get the dollar amount that I knew that it was worth uh, in a timely fashion. I thought I should be getting it. Uh, so therefore, I was forced to rent it out. And when I rented it out, you know, a couple of years went by and I started to realize like, hey, that tenant's been over there consistently paying rent um, and I'm consistently receiving this income and all that money I was just taking in and put into a bank account that I would never touch. And so that that money grew into a nice nest egg. And I was like, hey, if I had about 10 more of these properties, I wouldn't have to work anymore. And so that's where the wheels really started to turn and, and started to me start to see, hey, real estate, you know, could be something powerful, something good. Because for me personally, everything for me, the way that I learned is by doing, by actually seeing it in action. And so with that being said, once I started to realize how great real estate could be, um, I, I stumbled upon bigger pockets from a, a colleague in, uh, in the courthouse. And specifically, he was like, hey, have you ever heard of bigger pockets? I was like, no, I never heard of it. And he was like, you should check it out. They got podcasts, yada, yada, yada. So I started checking out the very first podcast and just the wealth of information that they were talking about, the vocabulary terms that they were throwing out that I never even uh, thought of. I was like, holy smoke, this is some great information. So what I did was I, I listened to that first podcast, it was like episode 245 or something like that. And then I turned around and I started at episode one. And I literally just went from episode one to episode 75 and just literally just start educating myself. And some of those podcasts I would listen to over again because I'm like, wait, what did he say this word meant? What, wait, what is, what's the cash flow? Wait, what's a cash on cash return? You know, what's a cap rate? Yada, yada, yada. So from there, you know, I really started to educate myself. And then I, around 75 episodes, I was like, all right, it's time to take action. I've done enough listening to it. I feel confident. I'm, I'm, I'm regurgitating some of the information that they're saying back out you know, before they even, um, when they ask a question, I already can answer it. So let me go ahead and start taking action. And from there, that's where I started to take action. Wow, that, that's kind of a cool approach. I love the fact that you actually went from those 75 uh, episodes that you first checked out. It was like, I need to go back to the first one, kind of the basic basics and kind of understand what the process is all about. And I love the fact that you kind of understood yourself that even though it's a 70, you know, you're like, it's episode 70, but listen, I feel comfortable enough to go right now in the marketplace and start taking action, which uh, like, uh, first of all, like, how did you did that? You know, because there's a lot of people who study for two, three, five years and they continue to, to study because they think they lack, still lack an information and the knowledge to, to take on, you know, to take on these actions. So like, how did you understood like kind of, you know, I, I don't know, it's a common sense. Like, how did, you, how did your brain work at that time? Like, man, I'm ready right now. So specifically, um, and all the success that I've had out of my life has always come from being brave and taking action. So with that being said, I had a small blueprint with my first condo on specifically 
what it is that I was looking for. So I was like, I need to duplicate this. You know, this condo has stainless steel appliances, granite countertops, hardwood floors throughout, uh, you know, freshly painted, uh, some nice amenities, garbage disposal, dishwasher, things of that nature. So I was like, I need to duplicate this because this is exactly what I want. I want 10 more of these. So I started to just look for condos. I was like, all right, let me find another condo just like this. And then I really started to learn that, hey, in Chicago, or maybe not just in Chicago, but around the world, the associations make it hard at times to get rentals or the associations don't always have their documents together. Um, so with that being said, I was looking at condos, looking at condos, looking at condos and not finding what it was that I was looking for. So from there, I started to transition. I'm like, well, let me try houses. And then the prices of houses I thought was a little bit too high. And so from there, uh, I really just bounced around a little bit, looking at buildings, looking at houses, looking at condos, and really trying to figure out, you know, what could I just get in? Because Chicago is a competitive market. And I was like, you know, how do I make this work? What is it that I can do? What is it that I can grab to just be my next property? And coincidentally enough, I wound up stumbling upon townhouses. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with townhouses, but with townhouses, you know, there are pros and cons to townhouses. Uh, and specifically in Chicago, the vast majority of townhouses don't have an association. Uh, but the, yeah, obviously one of the pros of it is it's a, essentially it's a two-story building. And, you know, from the left wall to the right wall, you know, you control everything up and down. So you got the neighbors on the left, neighbors on the right, but it's brick walls. Typically, you know, you got your peace and enjoyment inside your unit and you control, you know, that little box, which I was like, hey, this is perfect. I, I just can put people in this box and decorate inside the box and make it look as nice as I want to. And we can go from there. So from there, I wound up stumbling upon my first deal in June of 2018. Um, and so in June of 2018, uh, I, I bought a two bedroom, one and a half bath townhouse on the south side of Chicago for 42000 I went in, I refinished the hardwood floors, uh, I put granite countertops in, I repainted the unit, I fixed it all the little deferred maintenance issues, and then I turned around and rented it, rented it to a Section 8 tenant. And that's been, that was how I got into my first deal. And I can yeah. go into more detail if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But first of all, for the people who are listening, they are uh, thinking, what is a townhouse, which is an estate, uh, like I'm just looking at the photos myself and uh, here in Europe, or at least in Ireland, UK, it's called uh, semi-detached properties. Uh, yeah, so that's what it's called. It's just a different name, but we, we do have those, uh, those properties also. So yeah, so talking about the Section 8, maybe you can cover that, uh, that topic again for the people who are not familiar, like uh, what, what is the process behind that? So specifically with Section 8, I didn't know anything about it going into it. I knew that a lot of people say, oh, Section 8 is great, and if you can get the money consistently going in, uh, and Section 8 tenants, they rarely ever move. So, you know, all you have to do is just keep it up to the standard and that's so, it so, so sorry just want to interrupt you so first of all is, is it like you work uh, kind of with the with the government like uh, it, it pro, so pro, you provide a housing for for the people right yeah so specifically it's government uh, government assistant housing for people yep. who are in low income areas or specifically who are in low income situations in which you know they can't afford to pay um, market rate rent or their, mm -hmm. their financial situation puts them at a disadvantage in which they can't uh, afford to pay, you know, rent on a on a month to month basis. So the government steps in and says, hey, you apply for this program, we'll put you on this program, we'll pay up to X amount of dollars 
for your rent and you pay the rest or we'll pay all of it depending on your uh, unique circumstance. Mm -hmm. Got it, got it. So what is the difference? Because uh, again, you have uh, nine properties currently and uh, are they all sec section eight or part of those are just kind of regular, regular deals? Uh, no, some of those are market rate tenants, what we refer to as market rate tenants with people who just pay cash out of pocket from, you know, their W-2 job or whatever job they may have. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say about half of those uh, properties are about Section 8. Got it, got it. So what is the difference like when it comes to the tenants and, you know, leasing the properties? Because uh, for some of the people who may be listening, you know, these, uh, the, this current podcast, maybe you came across people who had a, you know, experience with Section 8, and maybe it wasn't that good, you know, again, because of the tenant issues, because uh, that might, that, that might show up at some point, because I mean, it's a Section 8, it's a government, you know, type of, type of deal. So, so when it comes to kind of leasing process, and you know, tenant screening process, do you apply the same rules for, for, for your properties, if it's a Section 8, or just kind of regular, regular deal? Me personally, yes, I do. So I apply my standard. I say, this is what the required credit score is. Everybody has to do a background check. I have to do a, a home visit to your house to see how, how it is that you're living, how you're gonna treat my property. You know, I, I apply the same standard unilaterally. And by doing that, you typically weed out any type of bad tenants, uh, specifically with the home visit. When you have to go into people's homes and you say, hey, I wanna know what it is, how it is that you're living. I, I feel like that one is a great equalizer because I, I've literally avoided some bad headache tenants just by doing a home visit. Got it, got it. So no, no horror stories so far yet, no? Oh yeah, I, I've had to do an eviction and that, that was probably one of the rougher times in my life. But at the same time, I embraced the challenge because I was like, hey, it's always that one that you, that you make an exception for that always comes back to bite you. And the one person, of course, that I made the exception for that I ignored all my rules, that I ignored all the the warning flags for uh, was the one who came back to burn me that I had to file an eviction for. Got it. So, okay, do, do you want to share about that? I mean, how did that happen? Because you mentioned Yes. So, specifically, I was on to my second project, uh, which was another townhouse, because I started to like townhouse. I'm like, hey, you know, this thing can really cash flow, especially, you know, if the taxes are too high, you can always get that tax appealed and that'll help your cash flow as well. But I went on and moved to my second townhouse. And from there, I quickly rehabbed it. Um, and then I was like, all right, time to rent it out. And from there, I, I, it was about February, January, February. And in Chicago, people don't move much in January, February. But at the time, same time, I kind of had this ego-driven thing because the first property that I rented out, I had about 20 people calling me a day saying, hey, how's that property? Can I take a look at it? So, you know, I had this ego thing where I'm like, hey, if 20 people aren't knocking, maybe something's wrong with it. And so from there, I only had like three people within the first weekend show up to the open house. And I was like, ah, all right, well, you know, I need to hurry up and get this thing rented out so I can move on to the next project. And uh, one of the first applicants was someone who coincidentally, I wound up finding out after the fact was going through an eviction. And they came to look to my property because they were trying to get out of their old property because they're being evicted. So long story short, they didn't have the credit score requirement. Um, uh, their previous landlord refused to talk to me. Um, and uh, they didn't want to do a home visit. So all three check marks immediately that said something's not right here. But I was like, I talked to my wife about it and not to throw my wife under the bus because, you know, we're a team, we do things together. But specifically, she's like, hey, sometimes you got to give people a chance, which is the worst thing you can do in business. You know, you, you have to look at it all at all times 
as from a business aspect. And so we was, I set her down. I told her like, Hey, listen, you don't meet none of the qualifications essentially, but I'm going to give you a chance. And surely enough, she gets in there. She didn't pay rent until the uh, fifth when it was due on the first, that the very first month she moved in, that was a red flag. And from there, it just became this carousel of rents late, rents late, rents late. And then when the rent was late, she would refuse to pay the late fee. Uh, and then I would have to tell her uh, the late fees due because you didn't pay rent on time. And I would go over there at times. It smelled like someone was uh, smoking uh, cannabis at the property. I was like, all right, this is this is not looking good. And from there, it just got to the point where I was like, uh, I can't take anymore because she was constantly complaining about things that I'm like, hey, th these things are out of, out of beyond my control. But at the same time, how can you complain when you're not paying rent um, in the first place? Uh, so it became this game of, you know, she would complain about something just to get her way or to try to justify her not paying rent. And from there, I was like, you know what? She co she coincidentally enough was on a month to month lease. Um, and I just was like, let's just, I'm just terminating your lease. She, the, the straw that broke the camel's back specifically was she said that she was gonna pay rent on the 17th on a Saturday. Saturday came and went, she didn't pay. Sunday the 18th, I went over there and issued a five day notice and put a 30 day notice as well uh, and gave her a 30 day notice. And she called me and said, well, if I pay rent, can we get rid of this 30 day notice? I was like, no, we would just like the property back. And from there, it became six months of me trying to evict her because Cook wow. County's one of the worstest, uh, one of the worst, excuse me, in evicting tenants and getting them out of there in a timely fashion. And eventually she up and left uh, per uh, agreement that we had in court. And from there, uh, I took the property back, found a quality tenant, and, you know, that was that. So I was out about five grand in terms of, uh, five grand in terms of rent and about another thousand dollars in legal fees. So about six grand total lost in, in, in that entire ordeal. Yeah, but as I said before, it, it has to be done. Like one of those lessons has to arise. It doesn't matter how many podcasts do you listen or, you, you know, like you, it's it's inevitable. Like at the end of the day, everybody who's watching, if you're running a real estate business, you know, like sometimes you make those mistakes. And again, sometimes it's because you want to help people. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what you wanted to give. You know, you want to give it, give it a chance, you know, for a person to kind of, as you said, at the end of the day, business is business and you have, have to keep it straight and, you know, just like, you know, avoid the people who are getting evicted and trying to move in, in, in your property. So Absolutely. talking about Chicago as, as a market itself, like, what do you see going on? Cause I have, uh, again, I have no clue. I'm in Ireland. I don't know what Chicago is all about. So can you tell us a little bit about what's going on? Like the type of demographics and, you know, particular maybe in the areas that uh, your uh, properties are in. Uh, so specifically I invest on the South side of Chicago, I, specifically the Southeast side in the Woodlawn, South shore area in that general vicinity for those of you who are not familiar uh, with Chicago. Um, essentially downtown, let's call downtown Chicago the dividing line. Everything north of Chicago is very affluent um, and as you go south of downtown uh, it, it's affluent but as you go further south it becomes less affluent um, and, and so I would say Woodline is specifically where they're talking about building the Obama library at and as you go south or from there, you know, you, you start to see uh, hidden miss spots where the neighborhoods get good, not so good. In terms of speaking of class, you start to see class B, class C areas, and even some class D areas the further south you go. 
Got it, got it. So what, what are the type of deals when it comes to the criteria? What type of deals are you currently looking on? Maybe the deals that you have in the pipeline and planning to, to kind of purchase in the future? Uh, so specifically, when I got started, I, I really took the Brandon Turner's philosophy of if I could just cash flow $100, uh, $200 a door, I would be happy. So it really started with cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, because, again, I was trying to replace my W-2 income. And so uh, at $200 times 10 doors, you know, I would have been at $2,000. And I was like, hey, I just want to replace my W-2 income. And so that was my mindset. And so the first deal was just about getting $200. But now as I grow over time, uh, it's it's more than just about cash flow. It's also cash on cash return. It's about total money invested. You know, it's about is there going to be any equity on the back end of the deal? Because I've done a slew of deals where, I've got great cash flow, but no equity. I got great cash on cash return, um, but little cash flow. And so just a combination of those things, you mix and uh, you mix and match. And ultimately at the point now that I'm at now is I want equity and I want cash flow and I want great cash on cash return. So specifically, if you ask me today, what's my criteria, I'm looking for a minimum $200 a door still but my cash on cash return, I'm looking for a minimum of 20% typically. And in terms of my equity, I want at least $30,000 in equity on the back end. Mm, got it. So overall, like investment strategy, what, what is your approach? Are you buy and hold? Are you planning to refi? Or are you planning to do burst strategies at some point? You know, like what, 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 is, the, what, what is the approach that you're looking to take? Uh, so specifically, I do buy and hold investing. So I do the burst strategy. So all of my properties, is typically buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. And I do that over and over again. And I'm recycling uh, money pretty much from my very first deal, which was my condo um, that I that appreciated in value because it's in the Woodline area. It's in, it's in the area where the Obama library is coming. It went up, you know, in value three times over. And so from there, uh, I just turned, I, I got a HELOC on that property and I've been recycling that money to buy more property. Got it. Got it. So, so like how many deals do you have currently in the pipeline? Are you looking to acquire any deals uh, until the, you know, until the year ends? Yeah. So specifically I got one under contract right now. I literally just got turned down on a property that went $20,000 over asking uh, and still lost it. Um, so I think that kind of speaks to what type of market that we're in in Chicago at times is, you know, like I said, it's very uh, competitive. There's a lot of competition out there. Um, and specifically, I'm always making offers. I'm always looking. So I'm, again, I'm specifically looking with those criteria in mind and I make offers accordingly. Got it. Got it. Got it. Awesome. So what is your approach, overall approach, uh, in diversifying like currently, you know, townhouses, you know, condo apartments. So are you planning to move into a commercial side, you know, like retail office, multifamily, anything like that in the future? So specifically, uh, my last deal that I bought was a six unit. I did that with some partners. Um, so we're currently working on that deal currently. So um, ideally, I would like to get more into apartments because I can see the economies of scale with it. However, uh, <laughs> apartments to me, in my opinion, is kind of the lower threshold uh, in terms of uh, what tenants uh, would prefer to have. When you think about apartments versus condos versus townhouses versus an actual house, you know, I kind of see apartments on a lower scale in terms of where tenants would like to be versus what they would prefer to have. Um, so I can, I can understand the numbers and I can see the metrics working. I've had this six units uh, since February and I can see, all right, you know, if all six of these units were occupied, I could really see how all the money could come in and, 
and how people really enjoy this. But in terms of actually getting qualified tenants in there and keeping them in there, uh, it's been a little bit of a struggle to say the least. Um, so, uh, you know, just playing that game of, let's see if apartments work for me. But as of right now, houses and townhouses are, have been really uh, the better viable option for me. Uh, like I said, I've started with townhouses and condos. Um, and then uh, the property that I have on the contract that I hope to close on in the next week or so, that's a house. Um, and, and you know, that's where I'm going from with there specifically. I'm looking at houses and I'm also peeking at apartments because again, I can see how the numbers multiply and, and really grow when you have apartments. Got it, got it, got it. So I want to mention one thing. At the same time, you're a licensed realtor. So can you talk about why have you decided to become a realtor as well? Is it for kind of connections, networking, uh, able to source your own deals? Like, how did you decide to, you know, to do that? Uh, specifically, it really started with me just wanting access to the MLS so I can go see a property whenever I feel like it on my schedule. Typically, whenever I will work with a realtor, I would have to work on their schedule. And sometimes our schedule wouldn't match. Or if I knew it was a high property and I knew it was going to go quick and I needed to go out and see it, maybe that same day, my realtor wasn't available. And so I was like, you know what? It's just easier, just simpler if I just go get my license and that way I can have access to the lockbox or to the agent and just specifically say, hey, I want to go see this property. Can I go see it now? Go in. I see what I, I see the things that I need to see. I make, uh, make my numbers accordingly and I make an offer accordingly. Not that I'm necessarily the best negotiator, but at the same time, I'm like, hey, this is what my numbers are. If I stick and stay true to my numbers, then this is where we're going to be and this will be a good deal for me. And that's specifically why I went and got my license. And then obviously it's been great networking with other realtors and speaking and just learning the business as well from a realtor standpoint and learning all the nuances and great information that comes with being a realtor. So. Got it. Got it. That's great. So uh, another thing, as I mentioned before, you're a full-time police officer. So again, for people who are watching and having still a full-time job, uh, can you just tell, you know, the secrets, how you still manage, uh, you know, to invest in real estate while having a full-time job? Uh, so, I mean, knock on wood, but I mean, the great thing about real estate is typically if you rehab the property, great, uh, or in pretty good shape, typically your tenants aren't going to be calling you every day. And so typically when our tenants call, you, you know, they usually send a text message or if it's something pressing, you know, they'll call. And the great thing about being the police officer is during the day, I'm typically not working, but I work in the afternoons. And so if there's something that needs to be done uh, during the day, or if I, there's a phone call that I get, I can run out there, take care of it, or I can uh, defer to uh, my father, who's been my right-hand man in property management, and he can... Um, take care of whatever issue that needs to be taken care of. Or, you know, like I said, sometimes, you know, you're not humping from call to call as a police officer 24 seven, or, you know, those eight, nine, 10, 12 hours you're working. So typically I can take a phone call and address whatever issue that the tenant has and go back to working. So that's how I've been able to manage it. You know, like the key thing for me is again, when I go in there and I rehab, I make sure I fix all the little things so I don't have to worry about the tenants calling me. And then every once in a while, there is some things that are missed. But typically, you know, we go, we do a good job of going in and fix everything the first time around. So we don't have to worry about the tenant calling about it later. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, and again, as I mentioned, uh, it's kind of a team effort uh, as your father being, uh, you know, a right hand and your left hand is your wife who's helping yes. you, you know, in, in the business. So can you talk about what is the position uh, of your wife like in a business? What, what, the, what does she do? 
uh, she really helps a lot with the admin stuff. So a lot of the documentation spreadsheets, uh, just really on the back end in terms of documenting everything and uh, keeping everything in terms of paperwork, uh, just organized and structured. So, you know, that's where she really comes in hand and, and is a big help. Got it. And the, the, any tips for the people, for the couples who are building the business together? I mean, how do you, how you don't kill yourself, you know, in the times where, you know, there's problems with the property, there's, you know, like the tenant issues like you had before and you don't start like, oh my God, like you blaming each other and kind of, you know, focusing still on building the business. Like what is the, what is the recipe, you know, for building uh, a business together as a couple? Wow, if I, wow, I have to unbury my wife from wherever she's buried at to be able to tell you that. I, I mean, I really don't have any great answers on, on, on that. I mean, it's really just communication. You, you have to communicate. You have to be able to be on the same page in terms of what it is that you guys are working for and, and what's your goal and how to accomplish it. Making sure that you have defined roles to say, hey, it's going to be my responsibility to handle ABC is going to be your responsibility to handle XYZ. And if there is ever a situation in which we felt like one person or the other should have handled it, then we have to come together and make sure we clearly define the role going forward so that we don't have this hiccup again. And, and that's specifically what it has been for me and my wife is making sure that, hey, you know, this is your job. This is my job. We don't overlap each other. I don't come over and start saying you're not doing this right. Uh, let me do it this way and vice versa and making sure that we communicate and that one person really dominates because I have an A-type personality in which I can dominate at times and make sure that I'm really listening to her and, and listening to what it is that she says and, and things that she wants to try because there's been times where, you know, properties that she may want to invest in, I was like, ah, I don't think that's a good property. Numbers don't say that it works. And she still says, well, I want to give it a try anyway. And A-type personality will say, well, we're not doing it, you know, because that's not what we want to do. And really making sure that I take her feelings into account and things that she may feel a certain way about it and saying, hey, let's talk about it. Let's sit down. And if this is what you really want to do, then let's do it. And let me make sure I take your feelings and emotions into consideration. Mm, got it got it that's beautiful that's great advice so again I, I think a lot of people will take away you know this is a, a great advice so again uh martin i really appreciate you for being today on the show it's been a great great insights a lot of great valuable tools uh, uh tips you know for the people who are building this uh just themselves couples and you know it's particularly in chicago area if somebody who's watching they want to build a, the real estate build business i mean a lot of great valuable tips so i really appreciate you you know today for being on the show Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so very much. It was a pleasure being on. That's no problem. And guys uh, and girls who are watching this, if you want to learn more about uh, Martin and his business, so that's matachicago.com, Instagram, Mata underscore investments, Twitter, uh, Mata investments. And of course, those links are going to be down below. So just one thing that I wanted to ask you, if you share this message with a friend of yours who are always talking about real estate and, you know, lacks the source or the knowledge, you know, for, for the business, uh, uh, pass it on this uh, episode. I'm sure he's or she's going to find, find a lot of great valuable tips. And again, uh, Martin, thank you for today for being on the show. And guys, as always, I'm going to see you on the next episode. Thanks for watching.